there was a little boy sitting on the front steps of his house with his face cradled in his hands, looking very sad and upset. His father came home just then and asked him what was wrong. The little boy looked up and said, Well, Dad, just between the two of us, I'm having a lot of trouble getting along with your wife. Last week we looked um, at a, a book of the Bible called Philippians. We began a series of messages. And the purpose of this book is to help us see how we can live with joy and peace in a world that is often filled with trouble. And here's the big idea. This is on your outline. We talked about this last week. And the big idea is this, that the book of Philippians teaches us a kind of perspective, the kind of perspective a follower of Christ must have in order to experience joy and peace in a world filled with trouble. Now, last Sunday, we looked at a number of things that affect our experience of joy. And we talked, first of all, about how circumstances affect our joy. When things are good, we feel what? Good. When things are bad, we feel bad often because our emotional state, our joy or lack of joy is often affected by circumstances. Here's something else that affects our experience of joy, stuff. If you have a lot of stuff, sometimes you feel great. If you have a little bit of stuff, you don't feel so great. We talked about that. We talked about how worry can steal our joy. And we also took a look at this, how our relationships with people can affect our experience of joy. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Now, I wanted to show you a brief video about some of the challenges that we can encounter in our relationships with others. Let's take a look. You know, there was a time when talking with my wife had all the appeal of root canal. Sometimes my house seemed like a war zone and my kids were the enemy. Even at my job, I was trampled on, overworked, underpaid, and oftentimes very thirsty. Then I talked to my doctor and learned I was one of millions of Americans suffering from RHD, Relational Harmony Disorder. He told me about a little yellow pill that could change my life. If you are currently experiencing difficulty in your relationships, it may be time to talk to your doctor about Harmonex. This single yellow pill taken daily can change disorder and chaos into tranquility and joy. A single yellow pill. RHD is a serious condition and needs to be dealt with by a medical professional. I used to have trouble relating to people, but now thanks to Harmonex, I don't have to. Harbonex is a prescription medication and may not be suitable for everyone. There have been some negative results with Harbonex and side effects may occur. If your wife is pregnant or has a pregnant friend, you should begin taking Harmonex immediately. You should not handle guns or knives in the house before taking Harmonex. Memory loss, loss of liver function, or the mysterious appearance of Rod Serling may occur. The FDA and Dr. Phil have not approved these statements, and you would be a fool to think a pill can solve your issues. Talk to your doctor. Harmonex. Achieve perfect harmony without all the work. And no, we do not have a free sample of Harmonex in the lobby for you this morning. But here's the reality. We all know that relationships can be challenging and often very complicated. Here are some thoughtful quotes that I found this week about relationships. And the first is for guys. So guys, listen up. A wise man knows that when a woman says, what? It's not because she didn't hear you. It's because she's given you a chance to change what you said. Here's another. Options for relationship status. Single, in a relationship, engaged, married, divorced, waiting for a miracle. And here's the last one. 
May your relationships someday be as awesome as you pretend they are on Facebook. Now, the Bible says that God created us with a need for relationships. That's part of what it means to be made in God's image. And here's the big question that I want us to consider this morning. This is on your outline. How can you enjoy the people that God's placed in your life? Now, I'd like to encourage you to do this as we walk through the book of Philippians. If you have a Bible, bring it with you on Sunday morning. You can make notes in the margin, and that Bible just becomes so much more valuable to you because of those notes that are made. Or if you don't have a Bible, we've got a rack with brown Bibles. Take one home, put your name in it, and uh, use that. We'd love to have you do that. And if you're using one of those Bibles this morning, we're going to be looking at verses on page 950. Now, when it comes to the people that God brought into Paul's life, and we often call him the Apostle Paul. The word apostle means one sent. And so God, when he called Paul to follow Jesus, sent him on a mission. So that's why we call him the Apostle Paul. But God brought all kinds of people into Paul's life, especially in this church in the city of Philippi. There was a lady named Lydia, and she was a very wealthy businesswoman from Asia. There was a slave girl from Greece. There was a, a Roman jailer that was in charge of the jail where Paul was being held. So they had... All these different kinds of people in the church at Philippi, different ethnic backgrounds, people from different um, social classes, and yet there was one thing that held them all together, commitment. I saw a poster, had a picture of an older couple holding hands, and it said this at the top, how did we manage to stay together for 65 years? And at the bottom was this answer, we were born in a time when if something was broken, we would fix it, not throw it away. Paul wanted the believers in Philippi to be committed to fixing their relationships with each other, not throwing those relationships away. And how is that possible? Well, through commitment. And church, this is really important for us as well. We talk about this in our membership class, that a healthy church is built on commitment, a commitment to Christ, a commitment to each other based on that commitment to Jesus, and then a mutual commitment to carry out Christ's mission in this world. Now, as you read this, this letter that Paul wrote to the Philippian church, you see that he really did enjoy the people that God placed in his life. And so the question is, well, how can we do exactly the same thing? Well, here's the first thing that we learned from the book of Philippians. If you want to enjoy the people God has placed in your life, you need to have them on your mind. You need to have them on your mind. This is what Paul writes in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. So he has these believers on his mind. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. When Paul thinks about these believers in Philippi, he's filled with joy because he is thankful for them. He's thankful for their encouragement, for their support, for their friendship. And in order to enjoy the people that God's placed in our lives, we need to be thankful for them. Thankful for those times when they've showed us friendship and encouragement and support. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think that the believers in Philippi were perfect? No, of course not. I mean, they had their faults and their flaws and their shortcomings. But when Paul thought about these believers, he, you could say that he had a selective memory. He chose what to remember and what to focus on. And in the same way, if we want to enjoy the people in our lives, we have to choose what to focus on. We have to choose what to remember. Listen to this story. When my three-year-old son opened the birthday gift from his grandmother, he discovered a water pistol. 
He squealed with delight and headed for the nearest sink. I was not so pleased. I turned to mom and said, I'm, I'm surprised at you, mom. Don't you remember how we used to drive you crazy with water guns? Mom smiled and then replied, oh yeah, yeah, I remember. <laughs> we get to choose what we remember about people. And church family, here's the reality. So often in our relationships, we hurt each other. Isn't that true? And sometimes we offend each other and sometimes we disappoint each other. But if we're going to enjoy the people that God's placed in our lives, we have to choose to remember the good times, the good things that have happened because other times we have helped each other and we have encouraged each other and we've chosen to forgive each other. As Paul thinks about these believers in Philippi, he chooses to do this. He chooses to remember their partnership. And as he does, he's filled with joy. Now, here's the reality. If you're a Christian this morning, if you've made a decision to follow Jesus, you're part of God's family. And, and this is what that means for us in terms of partnership, that we share in God's grace. Every single Christian shares in God's grace. And that is certainly true of a church family. See all these seats right here? All these seats are reserved for sinners. Did you know that? Because we're all sinners saved by grace. When you decide to follow Jesus, God saves you because of the grace poured out in your life. And if you're a Christian this morning, it's because you have believed the bad news about yourself. The bad news that you have a heart that pulls you away from God, away from his plan and purpose for your life. And you've come to believe that, you know what? My sin separates me from God because God's holy and I'm not. And you've come to understand that the Bible says that because God is just, he has to punish every sin you've ever committed. And that just punishment is to die and to be separated from God forever. You see, the reality is that we cannot save ourselves, and that's the bad news. But the good news is God loves us more than we can imagine, and that's why he sends Jesus Christ to this world. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, lives a perfect life. He allows himself to be crucified, and on the cross, God's willing to take our failure, our sin, and put it on Jesus and punish him in our place. The wrath of God that we deserved is poured out on Jesus. He dies for us, and then he comes back to life. And if you're a Christian this morning, it's because you have made a choice to follow Jesus Christ. And God has poured out his grace in your life. And here's another thing that's true of our partnership with each other as Christians. We share in God's mission. Because this good news about Jesus is not something to keep to ourselves. You know, I was thinking about VBS this week. We had all these kids from our church and our, and our neighborhoods. We wanted to tell them about Jesus, that there is a, a new life available when you trust him and follow him. And that is the common mission that we share. Now, as we think about how we can enjoy the people in our life, um, this is something that's really important for us to do, to focus on God's work in them, to focus on the fact that God is at work in each one of us. And again, this comes from what Paul writes to the believers in Philippi. Going back to verse three, he says, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And notice what he says next. Being confident, confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, and he's talking about God, God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, we talked about the fact that Paul is in prison as he writes this letter, and yet Paul is confident that the mission of Christ is gonna be carried out by these believers. Here's the question, where is Paul's confidence? Is his confidence in these Philippian believers? Is he saying, look, you guys are like super Christians. I know you can do it. There's where my confidence is. 
Or does Paul say, you know what? The reason I'm confident is because I'm a super apostle. I'm just a super Christian. I'm a super teacher. And because of that, I know that Christ's mission will be accomplished. Where is his confidence? It's in God. He says, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you, that God is the one working in you. And church, this is critically important. In your relationships with other people, where does your confidence lie? Because the answer to that question will really dictate in many respects the joy that you have in those relationships. And here's what I mean. If you're placing your confidence in me as your pastor to meet all your needs, to always be there for you, to never say or do anything wrong, I will tell you this. Eventually in our relationship, you will be disappointed. And here's why. Because I'm not a perfect man. That's not a newsflash. I'm not a perfect husband or a perfect father or a perfect pastor. But here's the flip side. You know, if I'm putting my confidence in you, that every time that I preach, that you're going to just change immediately, that you're never going to complain, that you're never going to criticize, that you're never going to gossip. If my confidence is in you to be perfect in your behavior, guess what? I'm going to be really disappointed. Why? Because like me, you are imperfect people. Now, listen, I'm not trying to be pessimistic or negative. I'm trying to be truthful. Because that's what the Bible says about the human heart. And listen, if you put your confidence in people, people will let you down. How many of you know that? We all do. If you put your confidence in yourself, guess what? You will let yourself down. I let myself down all the time. But if you put your confidence in God and in his promises, guess what? God's the ultimate promise keeper. And he will not let you down. Now listen, I don't want you to misunderstand. Our confidence in God doesn't mean that we don't do anything. Because if you want to change, if you want to grow, it takes work, it takes effort. If you want to be faithful to God, you're going to have to try to be faithful to God with his help, of course. But here's the thing. God wants us to work hard, to grow and to change. He wants us to be people that others can count on. But placing our confidence in God, it frees us to enjoy each other without expecting perfection. And that is what enables us to rejoice in our victories, to rejoice when we get it right, when we actually show love and concern for each other. And notice this about the work of God in our lives. There is the work that God does for us. That's the work of salvation. God rescues us. We didn't rescue ourselves. There's the work that God does in us as he works by his spirit to make us more like Jesus. The theological word for that is sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ. And then there's the work that God does through us. That's the mission that God's called us to to carry out together. And let me just say this, because maybe this morning, as you look at your life, you think about your faults and your failures and your fears, and you feel like, man, I I don't know if if I'm ever going to change. God tells us here that if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that he is at work in you. That he will complete his work. So listen, Christian, if you're discouraged this morning, get your head up. Because your father has promised that through his spirit, he is going to complete the work that he began in you. Now, back to our question, how can you enjoy the people that God's placed in your life? First of all, you have to have them where? You can tell me. On your mind. And here's the second place you have to have them. In your heart. You have to have people in your heart. Somebody said this one time, that when people are not in your heart, it's very easy for them to get on your nerves. And that is absolutely true. This is what Paul says in verse 7. He says, 
is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you where? Where? In my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. And that's a critical statement. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But let me share this story with you. I read about this young man who tells his mom that he's fallen in love and he's going to get married. And he says, Mom, just for fun, I'm going to bring three women over to the house tomorrow and you can try and guess which one I'm going to marry. Well, his mother agrees and the next day the women come over and sit on the couch and she chats with each one. Afterward, the son says, well, okay, Mom, um, which one am I going to marry? And she immediately says, the one in the middle. And he says, Mom, that's amazing. How did you know? And his mother says, well, it's easy. She's the one I don't like. Don't raise your hand when I ask this question. Are there people in your family you don't like? Are there people in your church family you don't particularly like? You know, here's, here's the deal. Let's get real honest about life. There are people that are easy to love and there are people that are harder to love. Isn't that true? We all know that. And the question is, okay, if God says, love everybody that I put in your life, how do we do that? I mean, how is that practically possible? And I really believe the answer is right here in these verses. Now, this is something that I think about often when I'm doing uh, premarital counseling or even doing a wedding ceremony, talking to a bride and a groom because they have stars in their eyes and they're just thinking, man, we're just going to live happily ever after. We're always going to love each other. And often in those settings, there's a passage of scripture that's shared. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that talks about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. It goes on and on. And it's all this beautiful stuff about love. And it ends with this phrase, love never fails. Really? Friendships fail. Marriages fail. Man, I've seen church relationships fail. Well, what's up with that? Well, we need to understand that's not talking about our love. It's talking about God's love. Because God's love never fails. God's love never fails to accomplish his purpose. And when Paul is talking about his love for these Philippian believers, you know whose love he's talking about? God's love. Because if you have your Bible open, look at verse 8. He says, God can testify. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now listen, if we're going to enjoy the people that God's placed in our lives, this is a truth that we need to understand, and this is on your outline. The love we need for others comes from Christ through us. From Christ through us. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. And think about that person that's hard to love, that person that maybe this morning is really hard to forgive. I mean, what do you do when it's hard to love somebody, when it's hard to forgive somebody? Now, if you're a believer, I would, I would say this is the answer to your question. Go to the cross and remember how much you are loved. Remember how much you have been forgiven. And stand under the waterfall of that love and that grace and let it fill your heart so that you have that kind of love and that kind of forgiveness for other people. Now, back to our big question. How can you enjoy the people that God's placed in your life? First of all, you need to have them where? You can say it on your mind. Where's the next spot? In your heart. And number three is in your prayers. You need to have people in your prayers. 
Now, Paul is going to tell us exactly how he prays for these believers. We'll look at that in just a moment. But before we take a look at that, there's another important question. Why does Paul pray for these believers in Philippi? And here's the answer, because he loves them. And he wants to see them grow and change and become the person God created them to be. Church, why do I pray for you? Same reason, because I love you. I really do, and I, I need to tell you that more often, but I pray all the time that you will grow and that you will change and that you will become the person God created you to be. Now, here's a question. Why should you pray for the people that God's placed in your life? Same reason, because you love them and you want to see them change. You want to see them grow and become the person that God made them to be. I read a story about Michelangelo, the famous painter and sculptor. He was pushing this huge chunk of rock uphill to his workshop, and his neighbor watched him for about an hour and said, Michelangelo, why do you labor so hard over that ugly, heavy piece of rock? And Michelangelo said, because there's an angel inside that wants to come out. When Paul looks at these Philippian believers, he doesn't just see who they are, he sees who they can become because God is the master sculptor at work in their lives. And friends, we need to see that too as we look at ourselves and as we look at each other. And in these verses, Paul tells these Philippian believers exactly what he's praying for them. Now check this out because we're gonna go through this in just a moment. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. One of the things that you see in Paul's letters over and over again is that he actually writes out the prayers that he's praying for specific people. And church, one of the best things we can do as we pray for others is to use some of those prayers as a pattern for the prayers that we pray. And so I want you to take a look at that because there's three things that we can pray for the people that God's placed in our lives. And the first is this. Pray that others will have a growing love based on knowledge and insight. A growing love. Now, I believe that Paul is thinking about two things. One is love for God. And that love for God grows as you know God better, as you have more insight into his character. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it? But think about this. How does love for people grow? I think it grows in exactly the same way. When you have a love for people based on knowledge and insight, when you really understand who they are and, and how God's wired them and what makes them tick, that enables you to, to love them more and more. There was a book I read a number of years ago that really confirms this. It's called um, Five Love Languages. How many of you have ever read that book? Uh, a number of you. And, and let me just give you the big idea of the book. It's simply this, that we have this, this primary way that we give and receive love, and it's called the love language. And there are five that are identified. One is words of affirmation. Another is quality time, physical touch, um, gift giving, and acts of service. And here's how it works. Let's say that you're a guy. Well, let's make this, I don't know if I want to make it really personal. Um, okay, Chris and I have different love languages. But let's imagine, this is kind of a hypothetical thing, that my love language happens to be acts of service, which it's not, but I'm going to pretend that it is. That means that the way that I express love to my wife is, you know, I'll fix the, the leaky faucet or I'll change the oil on the car or I'll mow the lawn, whatever it happens to be because I'm serving my wife. You know, I'll fold the clothes, I'll do the dishes. Now, I would expect that when I do those things, she's going to feel loved. But what if that's not her love language? What if her love language is, you know, quality time? 
And what she wants me to do is just sit down and be still, stop doing all this stuff, and just listen to her and spend time with her. It's sort of like, you know, one person speaking English and the other speaking Chinese. You just don't connect because you have different ways that you give and receive love. And I remember the first time I read that book and Chris and I realized, hey, we have different love languages and our kids have specific love languages. And the better we get to know each other, the better we get to know them, the easier it is to really express love. Now, I remember reading that book and thinking, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting, but is that biblical? And then I started thinking about Jesus. You know, how was it that Jesus expressed love to people? And it occurred to me that those were the five ways that Jesus expressed love. Because think about it. First of all, Jesus expressed love through words of affirmation. He was always encouraging people with words. Isn't that true? You read through the Gospels. Uh, What about this, quality time? He spent three years of quality time with his disciples because he loved them. Or how about this, physical touch? Jesus would touch people as an expression of love, and often that touch healed them. And then there was, was this, giving gifts. The ultimate gift was himself. And then acts of service. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. So when you look at the life of Jesus Christ, it helps you understand these different love languages. So I encourage you to do this. Be a student of the people in your family and the people that God's placed in your life. Find out how you can express love to them. Now, let's, let's take a look at another thing we can pray for each other. Here's the second thing. Pray that others will be able to know and choose what is best. Now, if you're a parent, why are you concerned about the choices your children make? Because choices have what? They have consequences. If you make a good choice, what kind of consequence do you experience? Good, bad choice, bad consequence. Why does God want his kids to make good choices? Same reason, because choices have consequences. And Paul says, you know what? I want you to make the best choice because the best choices have what kind of consequences? The best consequences. And why is that so important? Because our lives today are largely the result of the choices we've made over our lifetime. Isn't that true? And so the question is, okay, great. I'm going to pray that, you know, that I'll be able to make the best choice. How do I do that? Well, that's why God gave us his scriptures to show us the best choice and to empower us to actually make the best choices so that we can experience the best consequences. And finally, here's the last thing that we can pray for each other. Pray that others will develop godly character through a close connection with Christ. Pray that others will develop godly character. Church, this is so important that we pray this for each other. I need you to pray for me that God will continue to develop my character. And I pray that for you all the time that God will make you more and more like Jesus. Because if you think about it, what really is the key to living with joy and peace in a world filled with trouble? The key is being like Jesus. Having that kind of character, that kind of commitment, that kind of of integrity. And I'd like to do this this morning. I was, I was praying as I was working on the message and it's sort of like a, a plane, you know, a, a sermon's like a plane. You need to take off and fly around. You need to land. And this is the landing of the message. And I was praying and said, Lord, where do you want me to land the plane this Sunday? And it was real clear. Um, pray for each other. Pray for each other. So I want you to do this. Look at your outline. There's a question. Who do you need to consistently pray for? What I want you to do right now is think of somebody that you want to pray for this morning because we're going to pray in just a moment. Just write down their name or just hold it in your mind. You can write down their initials. 
could be somebody that you're um, having conflict with. could be somebody you have a great relationship with. You just want to pray for them. Or maybe this morning you realize you need to pray for yourself. But I want to walk us through that, that prayer that Paul prayed for the Philippians. So church, can we do this? Would you just bow your heads with me? And you think about that person. Just take a moment. Ask God to bring somebody to mind that you can pray for. And if nobody comes to mind, then pray for yourself. But first of all, pray that this person will have a growing love for God and a growing love for others. Just pray that. And secondly, pray that this person that God's brought to mind will be able to know and choose what is best. And finally, pray for this person to develop godly character through a close connection with Jesus. Father, it's just it's so amazing to think that right now at this very moment you hear all of our prayers at the same time. And God, we know that you want our relationships with each other, especially relationships here in our church family, God to be a deep source of joy. But Father, we know that the reality is that for so many of us, God, I would imagine for all of us, that we've been hurt by relationships, those in our family, with friends, even with people in our church family. And God, I pray that you would bring healing to our hearts. But God, more than that, I I pray that you would not only heal us, but move us forward. God, help us to take this truth that you've shown us today and actually put it into practice. God, I pray that that will keep each other on our minds as we focus on the things that we can be grateful for. And I pray that we'll keep each other in our hearts as we love each other with the love that we've received from you, Lord Jesus. And I pray this, that we'll keep each other in our prayers day in and day out, God, because you've promised to complete the good work that you've begun in us. And God, for the person who maybe has never crossed the line of faith, the person who's never asked Jesus to be their Lord and Savior. I pray that this morning they would simply say this to you, God, I need you. I realize that I'm a a sinner and I need a Savior. I failed in so many ways. So God, I just want to tell you, I believe that Jesus died for me and rose from the dead and I want to follow him. And God, you always hear that prayer. And God, for all of us, I pray that as we go forward, Lord, as we head into this week, that you would give us the ability, that you would give us the desire to love one another the way that you have loved us. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And church, would you stand now?